Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. It is news to exactly no one that we are living in polarized times. I feel personally convicted about changing that dynamic, and I do my best to push back against polarization in my own communities, and Strong Towns is committed to the same. In fact, it's a core value of our movement that we work with people on all parts of the political spectrum, because we know that the change that we seek across North America won't happen without everyone on board. Today's guests are doing the challenging but important work of bridging political divides in their home state. Carlos Alfaro and Jacob Pritchett founded Arizona Talks as a platform for learning, dialogue, and connection for individuals impacting public policy. They facilitate debates, conversations among residents and leaders throughout Arizona. It's a diverse state full of lots of different political views, and Carlos and Jacob have navigated those waters to bring together Democrats, Republicans, and folks in between and outside of those labels for constructive conversation on the issues that matter. In this interview, they'll talk about how this project came to be, some of their successes and failures, and their advice for others trying to build common ground in our polarized times. I hope you learned something from this conversation. Jacob Pritchett and Carlos Alfaro, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to have you both on the show. Thanks for having us. Let's start by hearing a little bit about each of you and um, how you got to where you are now. Jacob, can we start by hearing a little bit about you? Sure. Well, um, a little bit about me. I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest. I moved down to Arizona for college in 2012, and I got involved with a lot of uh, student organizations uh, when I was at ASU. And uh, it was there I I met Carlos, who's with us uh, today. Out of our kind of interest in running events and stuff like that in college. Uh, Carlos started an organization originally called Knowledge Works, but um, that turns out that name was taken. So I ended up going a different direction with that. And uh, he had this idea to start up something called Arizona Talks, which was kind of an organization started with the goal of promoting public dialogue about policy issues in Arizona I was kind of one of the first people to jump on board with that with him and kind of helped with promoting the events and things like that. I guess in my professional career, I I was uh, sort of doing customer success. I ended up as an account manager at a fintech company, but I eventually uh, left and I'm doing more communications things now. And one of my main projects is as a director of communications for, for Arizona talks. So, um, Right now, kind of my main passion is promoting uh, civil dialogue in Arizona. Very cool. And Carlos, what about you? What led you to be involved in this work? Well, it started with um, just a group of friends in college getting together. Jacob and I, as he mentioned, we were in some advocacy groups in college. We really enjoyed talking about religion and politics and what was happening day to day in current events. And Um, we found out that getting people together was hard, (laughs) right? When we had meetings, we would have five, six people show up and it just kind of be our friends. And so we put our heads together into how can we get more people to start talking about these issues in in our college, right? As we're taking classes on economics and politics, we wanted to bring that out into the college campus. And so what we did is we put in a, a, a debate 
together. Uh, the first debate that I, th- I can remember was about gun rights, right? Gun rights in America. It was our first successful debate with over 130 people showing up. I, to us, it was unbelievable. It was the, I guess, the fun fact that people are getting together, that you know that there's going to be people of the opposite side there that are going to be there, that are going to be listening and putting their arguments forward. That to me and people like us, that excited us. And so once that hit, we we looked at each other and we said, we have something here. So we started doing more discussions, more debates. And uh, once we <laughs> ran out of classes to take in college, we wanted to bring it out into the world as a nonprofit. And today that's Arizona Talks. Before we get into hearing more about the organization, um, can you guys tell us a little bit about Phoenix, Scottsdale, the area that you live or Arizona as a whole, since I know you, you know, work with the whole state, like what are the political dynamics there if you're having these diverse political conversations um, and like what's the community like in general? I mean, we can both comment on it because we grew up here, both of us did since college and, uh, you know, our businesses and getting married and all of that. Um, I think it's a representation of Arizona uh, in the sense that it's a very uh, independent-minded state. Yes, uh, it might be uh, more politically red than others, but when you get here, you find that there are um, Democrats, independents. So independents actually make the majority of registered voters here, um, and it's actually split pretty evenly after after that. So I think it's uh, a great platform to, to have these conversations on. You know, you go to Chicago, you go to New York or D.C. And I remember interning uh, back in D.C. where every lunchtime I could go and hear a lecture at the local university or at a think tank. And every day the conversation was happening. So I, we wanted to bring that here in, into Arizona. You know, not only does the chamber and uh, other organizations when they put their um, conversations together, but we wanted to open it up to others, right? To have to be able to have these conversations regularly in the desert. <laughs> yeah. And one of the kind of defining characteristics of Arizona is it's known to a lot of people as kind of, I don't know, almost like a commuter state or a transplant state. You know, we, we're home to people from all over uh, the country and, you know, honestly, the world too, in the, the Phoenix metropolitan area. And, uh, it's kind of a joke that like nobody's from here. So if you if you come up to somebody and you know you'll, it, it's a normal question to just ask, oh, where are you from? Like you wouldn't assume uh, somebody's even from here because there's so much immigration from other states. And Maricopa County, where um, Phoenix and Scottsdale are, is actually uh, home to 62 percent of the state's population. So when people think of Arizona, really they kind of they kind of think mostly of Phoenix and we have like Tucson and Flagstaff too, but they're kind of a lot smaller um, in comparison. So Phoenix's kind of transplant culture um, and really, you know, the culture of like a a pretty large, you know, geographically speaking city that was basically built uh, in the middle of the 20th century is kind of what, what dominates the culture here. Yeah, in terms of the transplant thing, like I'm up in Wisconsin and I certainly know plenty of retirees who like we call it snowbird down there in Arizona. So, yeah, there's plenty of visitors for sure. But you all are maybe unique being that you're both like from there originally. Yeah, well, I'm I'm originally from uh, from the state of Washington, but I have lived here about 10 years. The, the funny thing is, I feel like a lot of people who have been here for maybe 10 years or something, they... It, Honestly, I see this as sort of a problem. They they tend to not act like they're from here. They act like they're from 
wherever they were from 10 years ago or something. I, you know, I go around, I, I tell people I'm Arizonan, you know, like I, I, I love Arizona. I live here where I think it's important, like psychologically to kind of root your identity in, in where you live. Uh, other people might disagree with that. And I know it's fun to follow the sports teams you're from and everywhere like that. But I think part of, you know, what we can do for the culture here is encourage, um, you know, some kind of buy-in. You all started this work in college. And then what was the process like to decide, okay, we're going to turn this into something bigger, you know, a, a full 501c3 and make this something beyond our college years. Carlos, how did that, how did that happen? Well, uh, we went beyond just uh, what we wanted to do, right? We, we enjoyed having conversation, uh, but we saw the importance uh, as we got out of college, right, and started making our adult life, getting married, buying a house, you know, looking at the stock market. And uh, we were concerned looking around and seeing how dialogue um, really went below what it used to be, or, or at least the ideal of what it is, right? We've been able to hold this country together for so long with different ideals and people living together, even though they're so different. Um, but we've seen so many examples of that leading to violence, especially in the political side. And so our main focus of making sure this was a nonprofit was that we needed to preserve that public space where people can discuss ideas and keep it at a dialogue, at a civil dialogue. And so we wanted to preserve that and promote that ideal. And so that's why we thought uh, a nonprofit would be the best vehicle for that. Our mission is to promote that um, civil space for dialogue. And so that's how the nonprofit was born. And so what do you all do in in your day-to-day work in um, hosting conversations? What do those look like? Well, right now we have our uh, live event series where we talk about different political issues through the stories of people that are involved. Um, So we just had an event about uh, voter integrity and voting rights in downtown Phoenix, where at a brewery, people got together of different parties of different beliefs, and they told their story. We had seven different speakers, ranging from elected officials, uh, policy experts, um, even the Secretary of State, and they told their five to 10 minute story about why voting is so important to them and the current events that are happening around voting. And so that really is not an in-depth policy conversation, but it, it becomes that once once people start talking to one another, they start meeting the speakers, they, they see the importance of, of the topic through the stories that are told. And so we have our in-person event series that goes through April. Uh, it'll start again in the fall. We also have an interview series that is um, all online where we um, discuss political ideas with Arizona's top political minds. And that we do at, um, you know, famous local places, coffee shops, restaurants, um, as a discussion to get to know the people that are moving our policy forward. I feel like what you guys are doing is so unusual right nowadays. I hear so much. It's really frustrating, but I hear this from people on both sides of the aisle that like, basically there's no point in having dialogue and people are just so entrenched in their own perspectives. They think the other side is evil and wrong. How do you like combat that? And why do you have faith that this is, this is valuable? So one thing that kind of encouraged me a lot was um, we had an event, I believe it was the night before the last election. Um, and it was a time that a lot of people were, were a little bit tense and there was a lot of 
social anxiety, I, I feel like going on, or I mean, maybe that's the wrong word, but um, the the thing is we had uh, Republicans and Democrats um, from around the state at this event, and we were all having beers and uh, there were no drunken fights or <laughs> anything like that. Um, there was no name calling. And I, I don't know, I think that was the moment when I kind of looked at this and I was like, okay, so even in these, you know, really polarized times, there's still potential for people, you know, to work together. And even after the election and all of the things that sort of ensued, um, we still kept getting people from different parties together. Like Carlos mentioned at the last, at the last event, we had people from across the political spectrum. Uh, as far as elected officials go, we, we had Democrat and uh, Republican elected officials. And our next event that's coming up on, on housing, we already have uh, confirmed speakers from both parties as well as um, an academic. So I guess the model is sort of just finding policy issues and trying to figure out where people can find common ground. And we'll cover kind of weird things like, you know, God in politics was one of the events um, and, it, you know, a little bit a little bit different angles. We did one kind of on the legacy of prohibition. But my recent interest is trying to find issues where the divides aren't necessarily partisan and people can figure out like, hey, maybe I actually have more in common with people from different parties than I thought. And I think housing is actually one of um, those main issues we can lean into because a lot of the divides, you know, we found aren't partisan ones. You know, we have uh, a Republican and a Democrat who co-sponsored a zoning related bill, you know, about this together. And we're probably going to have some people who who are kind of like um, of a different opinion than them on that issue. And it won't be, you know, kind of a partisan thing. So I, I think that's, that's one of our goals is trying to encourage less partisanship and more, more thinking, I guess. Yeah. That seems like such a good approach to find the things that don't just cut across clear partisan lines and like navigate your way. Also like Focusing on people's personal stories, I think that seems really wise. Are there other particular tactics that you guys employ or like ways that you approach setting up these events? Absolutely. Um, we try to use the event as just a, a part of a good conversation. We have four different buckets that we use to put these things together. One is speakers, right? You're going to have the right people there. Another is the topic. It has to be relevant. It has to be, it has to bring people together, right? We often get together with our team and talk about the same things that are being talked about are at dinner tables at, uh, you know, college campuses, uh, you know, with coworkers. So that we want to make sure that the topic is there. Another part of that is the location. We want to always partner with a local restaurant, a local business that is making a difference in their community. When we have these uh, conversations, for example, at the brewery, the brewery that we have it uh, specifically cares about the power of the purposeful pint. So finding the right partners and uh, that, you know, believe in our mission is essential. And lastly, it's it's the format, the format and how we do that. So telling stories is one, one thing. We've also done things uh, called um, Jeffersonian dinners where we bring in key folks on these issues, whether it be lawmakers, nonprofit leaders, business owners, and we um, put them together at a dinner table with about 20 of them. It's a moderated dinner, right? It, the first course comes in, we start with introductions, and then we start slowly diving into the discussion that is moderated by a person at the front of the table. People there have told us that they feel like um, they came to an event, but ended up being the speaker. <laughs> 
that to me is success because that's where we get the best arguments, right? When there's somebody across from you that you know they, that they don't agree, you're less likely to lash out or, or demonize. You asked earlier, you know, what gives us hope? Uh, for me, it's this very thing. Uh, most of us, when we're with other people, we don't want to offend. We want to take their best argument. We want to be appreciative of the people that we live around. I don't think that the media and, you know, most of how we talk about politics is representative of that, but most of us feel that way. And most of the people that come to our events, um, I think are, are self-selecting. There are people that don't like it and people that are not, um, in tune with going to an event and hearing from the other side. But for the majority of the people there, they've self-selected. And so uh, that's what gives me hope is that um, we do have a, a big partisan divide, but there's also a lot of people, a lot of organizations that are working to bridge that divide every day. And so that's that's what we try to do. Yeah, it sounds like there's really a hunger for this. I think you're totally right that there's a narrative in the media and on social media that like everyone's super polarized and hates each other, but actually most people want to get past this polarized period. I hope, I think it seems like getting people together in person too is sounds like a crucial part of what you do and not, you know, just tweeting at each other or whatever. Have you been able to do most stuff in person or did you find like some, some online workarounds previously in the pandemic? We experimented with this virtual series thing where I actually did some some things over Zoom. And and we were able to get some speakers, actually, I think, that we probably wouldn't have been able to get otherwise for that. And we covered some interesting topics. And that was during, uh, was that all in 2020, Carlos? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it was, you know, it was good and it was interesting. I think a lot of people kind of got Zoom fatigue and a lot of people really like the in-person stuff. One of the great things about meeting at Greenwood Brewing, uh, where we've done a lot of these events, is they have an outdoor space. And we've been doing a lot of these in the fall, you know, winter. Oh, yeah. You guys are in Arizona, so you can hang out outside. So, But in the summer, it's a little bit too hot. And that's why, you know, it, Carlos said we were kind of taking a break because um, it, it a lot of people leave here anyway and stuff like that. But, you know, we were able to meet in an outdoor space where people maybe felt a little bit more, um, you know, comfortable socializing with other people and I don't know. I think that's been a blessing for us because really our, our bread and butter is kind of um, in-person events. How did you guys learn, you know, these approaches to organizing, setting up events? It sounds like, you know, for instance, a Jeffersonian dinner, that seems like it's some specific format. Did you like learn these from people or from books or did you all just kind of figure this stuff out on the fly? Well, Jacob and I, uh, like I said, we started off because we were interested in these issues and we started off by being advocates or uh, opposers of certain issues. And so we've seen campaigns come and go in Arizona. We've seen people do it really well and others not so well. And so as we're participants ourselves, not only civically engaged, but also running our own organizations or giving our time to volunteering campaigns. Um, we've seen uh, how some people really put this policy work that is super wonky and sometimes very boring <laughs> and they put it in the context uh, th that is digestible, that, that makes you want more. 
And so we've we've looked at these dinners, we've looked at panels, we've looked at um, storytelling as vehicles to get people to be interested in these things. You know, even if you discuss it all day and you find it interesting, at some point it does get dull. And so to me, one of the most, um, I guess, energizing parts about working with Arizona Talks is the creativity that comes from it. How do we engage people beyond just putting speakers in front of them? How, how are we ensuring that it, it's digestible and that uh, people want to watch this? This is why we started our interview series online. Uh, we see a lot of people trying to do a podcast format or an interview format, and sometimes it's a little too rigid and into the weeds. <laughs> so we wanted to bring those stories out and, and try to make our own. So the creativity is key. Who do you all work with in your efforts at Arizona Talks? And I've got you know a couple other colleagues and advisory board. And then are there like other community partners, funders? Like who's who's part of this beyond the two of you? So we have a wonderful team uh, that does production that helps us with uh, event planning. We have four core staff members that have been doing this for about a couple of years now. Uh, all together. And then we also have a, a broad um, coalition of uh, board members that either work in policy or around policy in a nonprofit world or business world that want to give to the mission. Beyond that, really, it's it's such an independent organization that the funders are our members. Uh, we have a membership of people that attend our events. Uh, we have people and organizations that really like our mission that give to that mission on the yearly basis. But really, it's it's us in the board that is guiding which topics, what uh, speakers are there. And that has been super helpful to us because as we're shaping those events, we're also looking at our board for advice. And they range from people that are in the Republican Party to people that are running the Democratic Party in a, in a county to people that have nothing to do with politics, but they're still in the conversation and deciding who and what uh, we're going to be talking about. This is a question for both of you. What are some of the things that you're most proud of that you've accomplished so far with Arizona Talks? Um, Jacob, let's start with you. What I'm probably most proud of is kind of what I alluded to earlier, just the fact that we've been able to um, get people at a time when it's really more difficult than it's ever been uh, to come together and talk about issues, even if they're from uh, different political parties and have different you know, sincerely held ideological beliefs. And that's even reflected in, in our advisory board membership where we have uh, people who are much more conservative and people who are more liberal and literally people from like the two major parties as well. I'm proud that we've started to become known in Arizona as sort of a place for these kind of conversations. And we feel like people are often, you know, getting back to us when we, you know, when we want them to participate in stuff and everything like that. Um, I, I think the hard part is not getting pigeonholed as like a liberal or uh, a conservative thing. And I think that sometimes we'll do an event and just because of who ends up saying yes, it'll look to some people like it swings one way or another. And all of a sudden like, oh, these are a Republican group or these are a Democratic group or something. But I don't know, without being like centrist just for the sake of being centrist, we want this to be kind of a space for everybody to be able to um, put their best, the best version of their idea forward. And I think to a large extent, we're, we're accomplishing that. And that's what I'm proud of. That's something that we struggle with at Strong Towns too. Like somebody sees an article about trees or gardens and they're like, oh, you guys are like some hippies on the left. And then see an article <laughs> about like property rights and they're like, oh, you guys are like some libertarians. And yeah, try to keep everyone interested. 
Carlos, what are you most proud of that you have accomplished so far that, that this organization has accomplished? Well, I would go back to what uh, Jacob said. I think we're starting to be known as a platform for people to discuss things, right? Whether it be campaigns or organizations trying to uh, get their ideas out there, they're looking to us or our platform to do it. And to me, it's uh, making my town uh, a, a better place for dialogue, even if I just contribute it with it with an event a month, right? That to me makes our, our city more uh, together. It creates this, uh, like I said, this public space, this uh, public square for dialogue that is so essential to a city. You know, if you have less places where people can feel like they can talk about what they believe, uh, the 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 place where we start living in starts becoming a little bit more hostile and it may be even more dangerous. And so what I am most proud of is that I've been able to contribute to where I live with uh, what I like and my passion. And so that that's always a, a point of, of, of pride for, for me. What are you guys excited for with the future of the organization? What's What's coming up later this year? Well, we're super excited because we have been able to gain more partners, more members. Um, I think this year has really given us a platform to talk about more issues because it's an election year. This happens, um, you know, every couple of years uh, where people are talking about these issues more and more. But it's giving us an opportunity to partner with more folks and have more conversations. Uh, within the next couple of years, we are looking to become an organization that not only does a couple of events a month, but that does several events uh, every week where we're engaging different communities, different partners and talking about a wide range of issues. One of the, the I guess, the slowest points in, in our work is where we want to talk about 100 different issues and we only have the ability to do one or two. And so as we grow, we, we, we're going to start talking about different kinds of issues and putting more creativity into that. So to close this out here, what advice would each of you give for somebody that's listening that might want to start something similar in their town or just start some of these conversations that bring people together across political divides? Um, Jacob, let's start with you. What, what advice would you offer? Um, well, I guess I would say don't get too discouraged by what you see online. To put it bluntly, people are not as tough in person as they are online. <laughs> um, I, I think most people are actually okay to have a conversation with. And the more you can humanize yourself, um, the more they'll engage with you like a real life human being, despite you know some of the stuff we've seen on the internet. So don't worry too much about uh, trying to start conversations with people. Um, I guess also, you know, keep an open mind. You'll find as you, you know, do this, that a lot of people have, there's more merit to, to different people's perspectives than you might think. And I think we get a little entrenched in our own way of thinking. We, we don't consider things from other people's perspective. Um, I guess another piece of advice is as far as events go, like you want to see something happen, just do it. Like don't wait for, I mean, you want to bring in partners and everything, but people respond to these signals that like, you know, you're making things happening. So don't, don't just be like, um, you know, Oh, we want to make this happen or whatever. Do like, we're doing an event. We're doing it at this time. We want you to participate, you know, at risk of sounding corny. You can just manifest these things. That's really how events work. That's kind of the code that I hadn't, you know, cracked for a long time. You can't just sit around waiting for things to happen. Just say it's happening and it starts happening. Yeah. Carlos, what advice would you give for someone that's interested in starting an effort like this? 
Um, it might be daunting, but uh, with a little bit of work and consistency, uh, it you know, great things can happen. Jacob very much knows that, uh, you know, we've had events that have really um, impacted the community and that have made us feel really good. We've also had events that failed and that had very little uh, attendance and interest. And so I think the key to our uh, success so far has been our consistency uh, in being that platform for civil dialogue. You know, when you start something, you don't start by being the institution that you think you're going to become. You you do that through the years. And so I would just say remain consistent and make sure that you have a solid goal and that that doesn't change. Good advice. Well, thank you so much, Carlos Alfaro and Jacob Pritchett. It was great to have you on the show and to hear about your work. Um, I'll definitely be sharing links for everybody to the Arizona Talks website so they can check out more. But thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so definitely head to ArizonaTalks.org if you want to see more about the work that these two guys are doing. And if you want to support the work of Strong Towns, please consider becoming a member today. Um, Jacob recently joined as a member. We're so glad to have him. And uh, we hope other folks listening who get inspired by this show, by the articles, by the videos that we share, will also support this work by heading to strongtowns.org membership and joining as a member of the movement today. Thanks so much for your support. All right, we will see you back here next week for the next episode. Take care. Mm-hmm.